welcome to Jiu-Jitsu 22. I'm Tish Durkin, and I'm excited because I've got my first guest. And he's the perfect guest, too. Jim Kessler is the Executive Vice President for Policy of Third Way, a great Washington, D.C.-based think tank that is often characterized as moderate left of center. But to my mind, that doesn't do its work justice. Centrism is so often viewed as a creature of dull cynicism, a matter of planting oneself smack in the middle between two compelling extremes, splitting the difference and going, okay, this solution is bad and actually pleases no one, but it's not as bad as it would be if the nutcases were happy. But the centrism of third way is, I think, and and jump in, Jim, if I'm putting this the wrong way, but I think third way is about seeing major longstanding problems in a way that considers the fullness of reality. Political reality, fiscal reality, nuts and bolts, existent physical and social and structural and infrastructural reality. And that is a big part of why Third Way has had such outside impact throughout its existence and why what I'd call its sensible visionary approach can be seen as running through the series of congressional wins that has made Joe Biden, against all odds, the most legislatively accomplished president since LBJ. Jim's also an old friend, and I'm going to get back to how we go back as we wrap up the episode. Right now, I want to jump right into the top three issues that Republicans want these midterm elections to be about. Crime, immigration, inflation. Starting off with crime, back in March, Third Way released a major study showing that crime is the last issue that Republicans should want to focus on this midterm. And uh, Jim, can you just briefly give us a sense of why that is? Why is crime not such a great issue for Republicans? Because the murder rate in states that voted for Donald Trump are 40 percent higher than the murder rates in the states that voted for Joe Biden. And eight of the 10 states with the highest murder rates in America are Republican states. Oh, is that all? That's all. (laughs) (laughs) That little detail. I I look at that. And of course, that 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 is a big part of the subject of episode three of uh, Jiu Jitsu 22. The GOP is soft on crime. But do you have any sense as a you know, putting your old political operative hat on, how have they managed to make that their issue? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very interesting. And I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons. One is I think reporting on crime is lazy uh, in general. So, you know, if a murder happens in Manhattan, you're going to hear about it. But if a you know murder happens, I don't know, in Wichita, you, you won't. Hmm. So, you know, we we have a tendency to report on things that are close to the biggest media centers unless something really bizarre like a mass shooting happens. So there's there's a reinforcement there. I think also Democrats occasionally say very unfortunate things on crime that make it look like they really don't care about it. I think defund the police was the three worst words Democrats have said in a very, very long time. And then the other is, You know, Republicans are very good about taking some places where they have weaknesses. Jujitsu, to quote a podcast that I know, (laughs) to turn it around and make it a strength. And I think that's this is one of the places where they've done it. Well, I'm glad to see that even though it's it's uh, late in coming, uh, that study has finally broken through to the mainstream uh, political lines and. just recently, a commercial has been cut by a couple of Democratic uh, members of Congress uh, that sort of brings the fight right back to uh, wannabe House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And so let's have a listen to what's going on with that. Kevin McCarthy, you want to talk about law and order? 
Okay, let's talk. Bakersfield, the heart of your congressional district, is now ranked at the top 10 most dangerous metro areas in America. Your own sheriff said, we know we have a violent crime issue. Kevin, your district has been the murder capital of California for five years in a row. And if you're so concerned about crime, why did you vote against $350 billion in funding for law enforcement? Every Democrat voted for it. When Democrats passed a bipartisan bill to fund local police departments, you didn't even bother casting a vote. Kevin, if you really want to talk about crime, let's start with your own party. Because it sure seems like you and your MAGA pals are fine with certain crimes. Crimes like stealing top-secret nuclear files, attacking the nation's capital, assaulting police officers, attempting to overthrow an election. Not to mention the little stuff, like tax and bank fraud. The truth is, Kevin, you aren't anti-crime, and neither is your party. You and your fellow Republicans are just trying to scare voters, playing politics while leaving it to Democrats to actually work for the safety of Americans. Everyone can see. You're not pro-cop, Kevin McCarthy. You're pro-coup. So that's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, I love that. And I'd love to see when it when it happens organically. And and, um, and then a little Twitter battle breaks out there, which is which is always fun. And the thing that I always hear on Twitter, like since we released the report and also with this latest ad is, well, it's because these red states or these red cities have these blue enclaves where all the murders are happening. Oh. And and I always say to them, OK, but blue states have more blue areas than red states, people. Well, but not only that, but like, how about Tulsa, Oklahoma? Uh, Tulsa and Jacksonville and Fort Worth. And, and the other thing that I think is, is you know, I would just encourage people to think about is, you know, before you blame everything on, you know, three woke prosecutors, uh, regardless of what you think of their policies, Consider the fact that gun ownership in this country has gone up 50 percent in the last two years. I mean, I mean, all the experts are saying that the the real reasons for the the spike in crime this last couple of years will take a very long time to to really unravel. And I don't think anybody should argue that, gee, uh, crime is high in any place because the mayor's got an R next to his name. But if that's the game the Republicans want to play, wow, did they lose Right. I mean, and look, guns are obviously a big problem. And most of these murders, it's not the candlestick, you know, in the library. It's a, <laughs> it's a gun crime. And as you pointed out, like gun ownership is really increasing. The number of firearms that have been purchased in the last three years, you know, has dwarfed the number of firearms that were passed previously. And that trend really began under Trump, you know, massive firearms purchasing. And, and then, you know, murders are going to come eventually. Yeah. But now in separate but related news, you guys more recently came out with a study uh, that included the line defund the police may exist as a slogan, but it does not exist as a policy. Can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah. So, you know, just like the report we did on murders, we're like, okay, we hear about defund the police. What's really happening out there? So we looked at the 25 largest cities with Democratic mayors and the 25 largest cities with Republican mayors. And yes, people, there are a bunch of large cities that have Republican mayors. And we looked at what is the size of their police force per capita. And we found that the Democratic run cities have police forces per capita that are 75 percent larger 
than the Republican-run cities. So I think, you know, it's not just the defund the police is an unfortunate slogan by some Democrats on the far left that isn't reality. Defund the police is a reality in a lot of these Republican cities and probably part of the reason why crime is so high in, in a lot of these places. And I, and also, um, I note that uh, spending per capita is also lower. It's it's uh, uh, between 31 and 38 percent lower, depending on how you adjust for population size. And you guys also noted that Chicago, Portland and Seattle also increases in their police budgets uh, recently. So this whole hysteria is kind of based on, you know, nothing. Right. But it's also based on some very prominent Democrats saying things that get explode in the media. And look, I'm going to put some blame on Democrats that say they don't want to take on the far left on Twitter and on social media. So they let that charge stay out there or they they, they sort of respond to it verbally in a non-convincing way. And this creates opportunities for Republicans to turn Democrats into caricatures. And it and allows, I think, this perception to harden out there. And it's really hurt Democrats. It's a it's a political problem for Democrats. Now, do you think what would happen if sort of a more, for want of a better term, like a more centrist or less lefty or whatever, that that Democrat comes out and says, look, there is a really uh, important discussion to be had about what police reform should look like, how to combat police brutality, et cetera. We're not dismissing that or saying that everything has to be done on the you know old model, but just by way of diffusing this Republican charge that we're already defunding the police. We're just going to point out that we're not defunding the police. I mean, what would the what you're terming as the far left, you know, Twitter brigade, what would they actually do? I mean, would they be against that? They might, but like, does it matter that much? No. I mean, really? How much does it matter? Um, and um, I think that Democrats should say we are for better police and better policing and safer communities and safer streets and more trust. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're doing. And here are some of the changes that need to be made. I mean, look, police do more things today in communities that have nothing to do with traditional police work because of all the other problems that are out there, mental health, homelessness, all sorts of other things, substance abuse, which are beyond the scope of police and to saying, we want to focus on their core mission to do public safety and have some other folks in the city or the state work on these areas. Yeah, I think that would sell with a lot of people, but you can't be afraid to take on the slogan. Another interesting um, feature to do with funding is that uh, I noticed that, and you guys highlighted, that the uh, recently passed infrastructure bill included a lot of funding uh, in an area that's another hot button issue, supposedly good for Republicans, which is immigration, particularly border security, uh, easing chaos at the border, speeding uh, asylum um, hearings and so on and so forth. Now, 19 Republican senators did vote for it, as did 13 Republican members of the House, but none of the real uh, anti-immigration firebrands. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned that in the infrastructure bill, and that's a part of the bill that's not talked about that much. But, you know, part of the problem on the border is 
We have really outdated infrastructure there, both in terms of security infrastructure, um, but also like the actual hard infrastructure of, you know, trucks and people coming, coming in and out of the border because we've been in a stasis on immigration for a long, long time. Immigration used to be a bipartisan issue. It's always been a tough issue, um, but it was always bipartisan. George W. Bush was an excellent president um, on immigration. He really tried to do things, uh, but there came a point, particularly with Republicans, well, definitely with Republicans, where it just made more sense for there to be a problem at the border politically, electorally, than solving the problem at the border. And and how how is that? Like, what is the use of that problem to them? Yeah, I mean, I, there's, there was a triggering mechanism, which was the Republican primary defeat of Eric Cantor in the, uh, you know, the leading up to the 2014 midterms in Virginia. That was a shocker. Um, and he lost the belief was on immigration issues and Republicans who had been inching in the right direction and a bill had been passed in the Senate, like they suddenly came to a complete stop there. And I I believe just like on crime, that Republicans have a strategy that says, "Let's, let's equate Democrats with chaos and let's equate Republicans with order. Now, you look at the reality out there, Donald Trump, you don't think about order, you think about chaos. Herschel Walker, you're not really thinking about order, you're thinking about chaos. But their their national messaging is about chaos and mayhem and pinning that on Democrats. And Republicans are the party of order. And look, Donald Trump got elected on build a wall and on immigration. And this, the Republican Party believes if there's problems at the border, all we need to do is take a selfie, you know, and th- that's enough. And then let that problem fester and let's just blame it on Democrats. And that's worked for them politically, not for the country, but for the party. And do you see, you know, one, one thing's interesting about immigration, though, is that under Donald Trump, what they really curtailed successfully was legal immigration. Illegal immigration. Uh, the, the interesting thing about illegal immigration is that we, as on so many other issues, all of us, and I'm certainly guilty of this, but but you know many others are, are guilty as well. We act as if, you know, there's a switch that the American president can can flick, and one way or the other, you know, it, it, everything in this case, everything about immigration is a function of what President Obama wants, or what President Biden wants, or what President Bush wants. When in fact, you know, much more often than not, it's a function of how's the economy going. I mean, obviously the. The uh, those trying to come in have not gotten the memo about what a disaster the economy is because they know there are a lot of jobs and they want to fill those jobs. And when the economy is is you know doing badly, as after uh, 2008, the border is not so crap. It's like gas prices. Right. Yeah, exactly. So so it's kind of ironic that that it, it's almost true that the less control over a problem an American president actually has, the more uh, blame he gets for that problem. Um, but but whereas legal immigration is something that is a, an administrative decision, and the Trump administration really curtailed that as well, getting much less attention. And, and I don't know why they, I mean, maybe they did get flack, but it didn't seem to resonate with their traditional constituencies in the business community, the Chamber of Commerce, all those guys. They originally were the let the market roll and uh, labor is a market and 
they were the ones who were in favor of bringing in lots and lots of outsiders, whatever their skill level and so on and so forth. How have they abandoned these traditional business concerns with such political impunity? Uh, Let me answer that in two ways. First, I'll I'll paraphrase Homer Simpson, you know, on beer, which is immigration is the cause of and solution to all our problems. And um, if you look at the number of people in America who were not born in this country, it's roughly one out of eight. And that is that is an all time high going back about 100 years. And when you go back 100 years, really in the 19 teens, there was the rise of a lot of nativism then, too, and the rise of the Ku Klux Klan and extremism. There's a point in this country where immigration gets to a level where people start to freak out and say, our country is changing. I think that that happened starting maybe five or 10 years ago. And we're 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 bearing some of that that pain from that for like. As far as Republicans, it used to be the Republicans were the Chamber of Commerce party. They're not anymore. Chamber of Commerce hasn't gotten the memo, but they're not. Um, And the other thing is, you know, I've talked to a lot of these organizations on immigration, and it's always on their list. We need more workers. We need more skilled workers. We need more unskilled workers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's number eight on their list. It's not number two or number three. And as long as it's number eight and corporate tax rates or some other directly bottom line thing is well ahead of it, they're going to, you know, talk to Republicans about it. But really, the Republicans really don't feel they're going to pay any price, either in terms of endorsements or money, you know, coming into their candidates. So I think, you know, these groups need to these business groups need to step up a lot more on this to try and move Republicans on it. Bring us to number three of the big three, of course, uh, because these issues are all related. In your organization's recent work about inflation, one of the first things mentioned as a strategy to fight inflation is increasing legal immigration and thereby easing the labor shortage. So how do those issues tie together? Why is the labor shortage important in terms of the inflation issue. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at the 90s and the early 2000s, we had unemployment rates that were so low that really all modeling of, you know, previous economies said, oh, we're going to have inflation. Well, we didn't have inflation at all during those periods. Why? We were importing workers mm-hmm. and we were importing a certain amount of high wage, high end workers, but we were importing a lot of lower end, lower skilled, lower wage workers and that just that just eased a lot of inflationary pressure in the country. We are not doing that anymore. So if you're looking at places where you know wages are going up, um, a lot of it is on the lower end. There is a there is a wage price spiral that's happening right now that would be somewhat alleviated if we had a larger supply of workers that are taking the jobs that you know, frankly, a lot of Americans don't really want to do right now. Some of them are in the farm economy. Some of them is like meatpacking. Some of it is in like home health care. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that is a huge area where we've got labor shortages there. And a lot of that is, you know, elder care, home health care. A lot of that is immigrant labor. 
so that's the type of thing that I would think, you know, I think to myself when I look at, you know, inflation, I think, okay, there are the five components. And of course, one of them is the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And then there are other things, but, you know, as smart as you and I are, Jim, you know, this is not rocket science. <laughs> you can kind of tell, but, you no. know, if you have a big labor shortage, this says, but what I cannot figure out is why Democrats do not put these things together in a way that average people can understand and kind of say, hey, we've never been in favor of open borders where we need a, a sane immigration policy. It's one of the things in the way of um, keeping inflation down. And and why why are they giving Republicans a complete free pass on these types of things? Yeah, they shouldn't. And I think, you know, you look at a lot of Democrats and they have sort of a two front battle because there is, you know, there is a loud group on the far left, you know, abolish ICE and, you know, other unhelpful slogans. And then they've got, you know, the army on the right that is attacking them. So reasonable Democrats, most mainstream Democrats, you know, they're, they're fighting a little bit of a two front battle. And, you know, the social media component of the far left they're really they're they're they have volume in decibels more than they have volume in numbers. But, you know, you see Democrats that are the tiptoe around there. And if you look at the 2013 bipartisan bill that got, you know, close close to 20 votes, Republican votes in the Senate and was on its way to passage. That bill was a mixture of like pretty strong border security. I reasonable but strict path to citizenship for those already here and then a bunch of changes for businesses so they're not in the future hiring undocumented workers that bill would not get the democratic support that it had back then like it would be considered too tough mm -hmm. so you know i just think we need to back off a little bit and get back to first principles we all know those three components. You've got to do more at the border. You've got to help the people that are already here. And you've got to create a situation where in the future, there's not an incentive to import undocumented labor. Mm -hmm. Those are the components. I, you know, I just think we're not Republicans have beaten the Democrats over the head and Democrats have been afraid to step out. And do you think there's anything that could happen in this midterm that would change that dynamic. I mean, I mean, are we going to be stuck forever in this stupid thing? Because obviously, like, you know, I think you said to me the other day, you know, you know, five people sitting around in a bar could kind of figure that these are not it's not that hard, except politically. Right. This could be solved by normal people getting together, solving this problem. Um, I, I think I think it's possible. I think it's possible to do something that might deal with dreamers. That's a lot of people mm -hmm. um, and deal with security and then some future flow coming in and saying, let's let's try and solve 40 percent of the problem and leave the other 60 percent. For later, like, let's just take that step. Um, but, you know, one of the things that you know, I would say to the immigration groups that are on the left and they are really like they're passionate, they're they're on the side of the angels, they're good people. There is no path right now legislatively to get the type of immigration bill 
that we all want. So we, we need to start, we need to reshuffle the deck and see what we can get and what we can work out with more reasonable Republicans like, you know, the Mitt Romneys of the world. It used to be Rubio and Lindsey Graham were good on this, but, you know, they've, they've, um, they've become Rubio and Lindsey Graham. <laughs> you know? I mean, how do we even? But, but on the other hand, if the Senate math really changed, if, there were, if, the, if the Democrats had two or three senators, if we hang out of the House, you never know. It's a lot of ifs. Ooh, I don't know. But now how about, you know, get, get, getting to inflation and the and, and not simply inflation, but the economy in general. If a, if a Democratic candidate, you know, called you up today and said, what points do I need to hit in order to break through the same way that they're starting to break through on crime? What would those be? If somebody said to you, I really trust the Republicans on the economy. Right. That's true. I mean, they have an edge on the economy and really traditionally, and they, they still do. And it's it's a miracle that they do, but they do. Um, I would say as a Democrat. We have a plan on inflation. It is working. It will take a little bit more time, but we know what we're doing and we're going to bring inflation down and the economy will still motor ahead. And I would just make sure you'd hit that over and over. And then you'd go through the details. The details are the details. And there's a zone of them. Like we brought gas prices down from $5 to $3.70 because we did X, Y, Z with the you know, strategic petroleum reserve and blah, 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 blah. We've lessened supply chain inflation by, you know, opening up ports longer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd, the details, I'd take all those pieces and showing what we're doing. But I would say... We have a plan. It's working. We're showing improvement. It will take a little bit longer, but it's working, you know, and, and I would just repeat that. And look, it is working. Inflation is coming down, not as fast as we want, but it is coming down. The Republicans' favorite country on earth is, is, is Hungary, and I think they're at 13 percent. So right. there's also that little note to hit. Right. And, and a trajectory. And look, we just you look at Great Britain and. They just um, they they took the Laffer curve and and just applied it to their economy. And within a week, their economy was in shambles. So, look, America's inflation is better than all of Europe. You know, so, I mean, this is a this is an international problem right now, because, as you noted, a lot of this has to do with Russia and Ukraine. Exactly. Now. I cannot resist asking for, even though I forsworn my previous life as a pundit and prognosticator, but here we are. What's going to happen? Midterm elections. Any possibility of keeping the House? I think about 20 percent. You know, okay. that's a puncher's chance. Um, a couple things to realize. If you take all 435 House districts and you smushed it together and you said this is a giant national House single ballot, Democrats need to win that national House vote by three points to to keep the House. We as because of redistricting, because of majority minority districts in which there are districts we win like 85 to 15, we start with a, a deficit of about a field goal. So we really need to do three points or better um, to win. And just to you know, underscore, if you look going all the way back to the Civil War, there have been 40 elections, midterm elections, 
the president's party has gained House seats in three out of 40. It's very, very rare. There are some indications we could do it. You know, the Alaska race, you know, that's that's a that means something. The Kansas ballot initiative means something. The polls, who knows how good they are? They've been less and less good over the years. But I, I think we have a real shot. But it's a shot. That's that's all it is. And how about the Senate? I would say the Senate, we have better than a shot. You know, I, I think it's better than 50-50, but probably not better than 60-40. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's going to be up to um, Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Democrats need to win two of three to get to 50. Republicans need to win two of three to get to 51. Georgia's looking a lot better. Um, Pennsylvania is tightening, but I, I feel pretty good about Pennsylvania. I mean, you live in Oz's state. You live in New Jersey. So, um, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I drive by that billboard frequently. Cause yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's problems. And Nevada, look, Nevada is going to be tough. Nevada is tough because gas prices there are $5 a gallon. It's very different feeling there than, than here. So, but I think, I think we're going to be at 50. How about Tim Ryan? He's got a shot. He's got a real shot. He's a terrific candidate. Beasley's got a real shot. You know, Mandela Barnes has a shot. I think Val Demings is a terrific candidate, maybe a little bit less of a shot, Florida, but, you know, not impossible. Um, but, you know, Tim is great and, and running, he's running the race, you know, tough state. What percentage Biden runs again? Well, I'm hoping he runs. Um, I, I would say 70% chance that he runs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, he's earned the right to run again. Um, as you noted at the start, the most successful legislative president since LBJ, you know, of either party. Um, and, you know, people think he's lost a little bit off his fastball. Tell that to Vladimir Putin. <laughs> you know, so I, you know, I think he's the right candidate for Democrats. There's no cure for age, obviously. That is definitely weighing on voters' minds. Look, that's the other thing that Republicans are doing. It's all about his age, his age, his age, his age. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're they're pounding that message in. All right, my friend. I think we may liberate you shortly. <laughs> Have you have you recovered from the thrill of being the first guest on Jiu-Jitsu 22? I don't know if I'll ever recover. This could be a life-changing event. Yeah. But anyway, before we go, I just want to indulge in remembering how my path first crossed with yours because it's strangely relevant to this podcast. Way back in the day, Jim's boss was Chuck Schumer, who some of you may know as the Senate Majority Leader. But back then, he was a congressman from the borough of Brooklyn who was hoping to unseat the entrenched three-term GOP incumbent, Alphonse D'Amato. Schumer was running a distant third in the Democratic primary behind the late Geraldine Ferraro and another prominent New York Democrat named Mark Green. 
as a young print reporter, I spent a weekend riding around with Schumer and what I believe to have been a Ford Taurus. Do you remember that car, uh, Jim? Was that? It was Ford Taurus. It was a Ford Taurus. Okay. It wasn't a, a, a more luxurious. It was a sensible car. Yes. Oh, no doubt. It was a sensible car. Much of the conversation um, centered, I, I will say, on uh, the then congressman talking about how he couldn't understand why all the other campaigns were staying at the Omni in Albany when the the Howard Johnson's was perfectly great. The young staffer driving the car was not nodding. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know you recall that as a very relaxing and easygoing time where you were lavishly paid and underworked. Yes. But the reason I remember that is because even then Schumer was so confident that he was going to take the primary, which at that time, you know, seemed delusional. But what I distinctly remember was his plan for how he was going to beat D'Amato. Democrats had spent years and several election cycles hitting D'Amato on his lack of intellectual stature and a whole bunch of ethics scandals he'd been caught up in. But D'Amato had countered all this basically by leaning into all his flaws and saying those didn't matter on the grounds that he brought home the bacon. He was great on basic constituent services. He was proud to be denigrated as Senator Pothole. But from the get go, Chuck Schumer saw that the way to beat D'Amato was not to let him get away with that. He was going to show that D'Amato wasn't Senator Pothole. He didn't really deliver for New Yorkers and Schumer would deliver without requiring them to put up with all the other nonsense. You remember that that rationale? Oh, yeah, Jim. You know, um, just on on that, Tish, we were way behind in the in the primary, but we had a theory about how we were going to win the primary and a theory on how we, we were going to win the general. And I've got to tell you that the entire team believed in that theory, believed in the candidate. And we spent 99.9% of our time executing on that plan and 0.1% of that time complaining about it. We really believed it was going to work and it worked. Yep. And and I remember clearly because I remember when he said all that, because, you know, you know, politics is not a... um, a field that is devoid of crazily self-believing people. I mean, I knew people who were, you know, I covered people who were running for mayor of New York who were asterisks, you know, from the beginning to the end. And they really were surprised when they, they didn't win and, and things like that. But, but it was sort of amazing to see that he really did, you know, you, you saw it from the inside and I saw it from the outside. He really did sort of stick to that, to the assumption that he was going to beat this guy uh, by taking the fight to him. And um, fast forward a couple of decades and the Democratic Party is basically ceding major issues to the Republicans, as we've discussed today, you know, crime and the economy and immigration. And uh, I thought to myself a while back, Democrats have got to do now what their leader did way back then, hit the GOP right back on all their issues so hard they'll wish they never laid claim to any of them. That is the idea of Jiu-Jitsu 22. And yet another reason why it is so perfect to have had an old Schumer hand as my first guest. So thank you so much, Jim Kessler. That is a great way to sum this up. And the next time I talk to the Democratic leader, I'm going to remind him of that 1998 race and Senator Pothole and how we need to we need to reclaim that on all sorts of issues. Yes, that's exactly it. And the, the commercials that just came out, that one that we've, we referenced at the beginning, that's exhibit A. Yeah. Just just sure. do that. They don't Absolutely. have a rationale. The emperor is stark naked. Right. And don't wait till five weeks out. <laughs> I know. What yeah. is going on? So hopefully we'll turn this around. But anyway, in the meantime, thank you again. Yeah, it was fun. We shall 
Chat Anon. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll check out more of Jiu-Jitsu 22. Midterm minis drop on Mondays, full episodes on Thursday mornings.